Hi, listeners. This is Dr. Vanessa Carlisle. As you may already know, On the Dresser is a completely independent production. We are a very small team trying to do some very big things in the field of adult sex education, sex workers' rights, sex and body positivity, and queer community building. We've brought you episodes we recorded in our cars, in our closets, during the aftermath of Fosta Sesta, while protesting in the street uh, or sharing a mic on the floor of my apartment. We've recorded in our work clothes, in our depression sweats, in our hangovers, in our feelings. We've gotten interviews with incredible people who believe in us and believe in the project of this show. We love this project, but it requires time and resources, and we need to restructure how we create and produce our content. So we are going on a hiatus until the fall, during which we will be streamlining some of our processes, handling some life stuff, and building a stronger platform for our growth. For the next few weeks, we'll be offering you some of the gems from our last two and a half years and asking you to consider supporting On The Dresser so that we can keep making you proud. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to On The Dresser. Sex, Sex, queers, queers, politics. politics. What's on your dresser? Our conversations are led by sex workers, queer people, and sex educators. We call what we do edutitillation. We use explicit language and discuss topics that may not be a good fit for all listeners. But if you like honest, frank talk about gender, sexuality, and bodies, if you know it's all political but you're not always sure what to do about it, well, we're here for you. I'm Danny Cruz. I am Lauren Kiley. And this week, we are highlighting some literature created and illustrated by queer people and sex workers. We'll be talking with Brian Knight about a new nine-part comic book series he's authoring called The Velvet Collar. However, that did inspire the pivot into a spy action adventure, which is fictional and fun and still driven by real stories and real concerns as our characters move through the wider world of male sex workers. Illustrated by queer artist Dave Davenport, The Velvet Color tells the story of a group of sex workers who are about to get the opportunity to to fulfill their dreams on the day when their world comes crashing down. The comic series is based on the government's raid of male escort site rentboy.com a few years ago, uh, and it's a really cool concept. Brian sees this as a collaboration uh, storytelling effort. Uh, We'll chat with him about his vision for this work and about how you can get involved in its creation as well as how to get it. Yes, and trust me, you want to get this. It's really, really fun and a great read. And we are also going to chat about some of our other favorite works by other queer artists, scene makers, and storytellers a little bit later on in the show. But before we get to all that, Lauren, you know we're into some headlines. And we have been inundated with all sorts of headlines this year. And to continue the trend of absurd headlines that it never occurred to me I would ever see, this past Wednesday night or Thursday morning, depending on who you are and the position you take on that question, (laughs) 
<laughs> so I'm going to say on this past Wednesday night, Stormy Daniels, the porn actress who has allegedly had an affair with reality skewer and star. And I guess we should say he's also now the president, Donald mm. Trump. Uh, It seems like irrelevant details. Uh, Stormy was arrested while performing her Make America Horny Again show at a strip club in Ohio. Four vice detectives were present at Sirens Gentleman Club in Columbus, Ohio, where Stormy was doing a two-night gig. In court filings, the dicks say that Daniels pressed patrons' faces into her chest while topless, uh, colloquially known as a motorboat. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. In case you're not familiar with that move, uh, for for those who have not frequented strip clubs, let alone worked in them, uh, and also fondled the breasts of some women in the audience. They allege she performed similar acts on three officers, some of whom were women, and grabbed one of their asses. She, as well as two other strippers, were arrested and charged with illegal sexually oriented activity, a misdemeanor. But that state did not last long for Daniels. Yeah. From the New York Times, quote, the arrest at an Ohio strip club of the pornographic film star was quickly resolved because of one fact. She was not a regular employee at the club. Uh, This law that they arrested Stormy under, the um, Community Defense Act, was passed in 2007, um, and it makes it illegal for a regular employee of of a strip club to be consensually touched by or consensually touch another patron in a strip club if that person is not a member of your immediate family. (laughs) Yeah, super adding to the creep level of this law. Um, because we know that most laws um, that are around sex workers' workplaces don't actually protect sex workers in their workplace. Um, they had to add that creepiness factor of the only person that can touch a stripper in a strip club is the member of that stripper's family. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm certainly not an expert in Ohio, let alone Columbus strip club policies. But one of the things the story has done is shown a lot of conversation on Twitter and sex work spaces. Even anecdotally, it this is a law that is pretty much only used to arrest strippers exactly. for doing their job, which is uh, even ostensibly legalized forms of sex work still end up criminalizing sex workers. Yeah, this law. So they made the the officers who made the arrest um, missed that one key point of the law in which the stripper who is doing the touching or being touched has to be an employee for it to be an illegal act. Stormy is just there as a gig performer. Like she's just... And the other dancers who were arrested did not get the same treatment. Uh, I did see that Stormy said she was going to donate all of her tips from her subsequent shows to trying to get them out of jail, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. But it's also really, really shitty that they are still in jail and that, and that this raid was done uh, in the name of human trafficking. Yeah. That was one thing that while the Columbus police department acknowledged their mistake that the, that they had to drop the charges against stormy because the, law wasn't what they 
arrest her for. Like, there wasn't a, a good arrest. Um, they still doubled down on that human trafficking rhetoric, um, saying that the operation at the strip club that night was um, based on complaints from the community and was part of a uh, long an, an ongoing human trafficking uh, investigation. People on Twitter and in our social networks I've seen have likened this to the raids on strip clubs down in New Orleans um, mm-hmm. that also were A, done under the guise of human trafficking, and B, had no victims or human trafficking charges anywhere in the operations or raids. Yeah. And there's a fundamental misunderstanding of the ways in which human trafficking operates, let alone operates specifically in strip clubs. And the idea that arresting strippers in any way combats human trafficking or does anything except fuck with strippers' lives and livelihoods. Yeah. So Glad Stormy's out of jail, didn't have any charges pressed against her. We'll continue to, um, you know, update on her adventures on her Make America Horny Again tour. I'm sure this is not the last opportunity for her to be harassed by local law enforcement as she goes on this nationwide tour um, and and also being a vocal critic of uh, this president's administration and his policies and and kind of titillating us with the maybe details of their relationship. (laughs) This is not the first time that we've seen a sex worker be arrested in a move that looks and sounds and really has the timing of retaliation from law enforcement. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, at, at some point, if it looks like retaliation, if they're using words like retaliation, and if the targets are specifically people going after authority figures, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I've, I mean, yeah. Uh, her attorney, Michael Avenatti, um, said, was quoted as saying, or maybe he tweeted something uh, to the effect of, like, this reeks of desperation. Um, and that, that in, essentially that the entire sting operation was entrapment because um, it seemed as though the officers, the female officers who were undercover, um, and Michael Avenatti told the New York Times, like, women go to her shows. It wasn't uncommon for her to see women and have interactions with women during her shows. But it seemed as though those officers were like, trying to get her to break that law and so like entrapment and desperation are are words that i've seen floating around these these things and we make similar cases right for when prostitution stings go on of that entrapment element right absolutely and hopefully this can be a push for not just free stormy and not just let's not entrap our celebrities or our resistance heroes, but let's just never have cops raid strip clubs. Cool with me. That, yeah, that I'm perfectly, perfectly happy for advocating for the abolition of strip club raids. I mean, also like for the abolition of the police, but that's, let's start with no strip club raids. 
seems like a good spot. Second to that, another thing that we really, really hope gets abolished, FOSTA-SESTA. Late last month, um, the Electronic Frontier Foundation filed a challenge to FOSTA-SESTA, also known as the Allow States and Victims to Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. Um, It's been wreaking havoc on sex workers in our communities um, and also just the public at large. Like, it's also affected like Craigslist and uh, message mm-hmm. boards that sex workers aren't using, like furry websites. Um, it's been doing all these things since it was signed into law in April. In the lawsuit, Woodhull Freedom Foundation et al. versus the United States, the EFF argues that SESTA-FOSTA violates the First and Fifth Amendments by, by preventing its plaintiffs from using the internet to place ads, screen clients, and share safety information for fear of arrest. Uh, it argues that SESTA-FOSTA is the most broadly based and comprehensive legislative censorship of the internet since Congress passed the anti-indecency provisions of the Communications Decency Act back in 1996. Those, of course, were struck down by the Supreme Court in pieces, all those in- anti-indecency provisions of the CDA, um, they've, been, they've been taken down. So yay for this. It's like the first time that I feel... Like when I heard the announcement of this lawsuit, it was the first time that I felt like I could breathe. Like finally, here was a response to this awful yeah. thing that we've been reporting on for a year. I mean, ever since we pretty much figured out that this bill was going to be signed, one of the questions that we have both been asking and also have been asked repeatedly is who's filing the lawsuit? When, how, how and when is this law going to be challenged? Mm-hmm. It's really good to now have something to point to, to this is the lawsuit, this is the challenge. And also really, really scary that this is the Supreme Court that might decide something so crucial. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, this is just the first step. Um, The Department of Justice has filed an extension on responding to this lawsuit, um, which I believe the, (laughs) the court has granted them that extension for whatever legal reason. Oh, um, the Department of Justice seems a little overwhelmed with bullshit right now anyway. So, it, yeah. Essentially, Fuck. essentially. Um, <laughs> what's exciting about this is not only it's the Electronic Frontier Foundation and Woodhull, but um, sex worker activists like Alex Andrews of Swap Behind Bars have also been involved um, in the creation of this lawsuit and getting the response to it. Um, out there into the world. So big props to Alex for Swap Behind Bars for that and for her work. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Swap Behind Bars, for existing and doing all the awesome work. We love you. We're fans. So, yeah. It's in its early stages. We'll see where it goes. We'll have more information soon. Yay! Sue those fuckers. Overthrow FOSTA. But we also have some other good news. It's so exciting to share good news. And it's really exciting that we have good news about sex worker media coming out. Um, And I'm going to preface this as probably the resident geek of the show, that I've been reading a lot of fantasy, a lot of comic books, and been heavily invested in superhero stories for the past couple of years. And that's because, well, all of those are have a long tradition of being based in anti-fascist narratives. So they've been hitting very, very close to home. And one of the things that has made me very, very sad about all my fantasy superhero binging is how often all the whores die. And that is, it's, it's constant. Um, 
And I'm so excited that not only do we get to talk about a sex worker comic with Brian Knight, but we have more sex worker comics coming out. Uh, DC Comics is releasing a series with input by Tina Horn called Safe Sex. And can you tell us more about this, Danny? Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm going to burst into just giggles. <laughs> yeah. Tina Horn, um, host and producer of the Wire People Into That podcast, um, podcast we love. She and artist Mike Dowling are doing this series called Safe Sex, um, which will de- debut in 2019. DCComics.com describes Safe Sex as a dystopian thriller starring a squad of rebel sex workers who battle against an oppressive government regime. Uh, The release of the series was announced as part of a relaunch and rebranding of DC's Vertigo imprint, uh, which was launched in 1993. And I didn't know this, but um, I went into this whole background reading on Comics Code Authority. Um, and it really like reading, you should, you should go to Wikipedia. I, I encourage your listeners go to Wikipedia comics code authority, reading about its inception and the way it works. It, it reads a lot like Fosta Sesta, um, in which, uh, the government was essentially like, you can't put that stuff in comic books. Kids will read those. Um, mm-hmm. the interesting thing is that instead of, succumbing to government regulation and just saying, okay, well, the government can legislate what we get to put in our comics. Comic book writers and illustrators got together and like formed their own internal regulatory authority and essentially like censored themselves to be able to escape government censorship. Um, Fast forward to like 60, 70 years later, Nobody really pays attention to this comic code authority anymore. This thing went defunct in like 2010 because no major publishers were adhering to the code. Um, But a lot of the major publishers, DC included, published imprints, what they call imprints. It's like a, I don't know, like an upside down world version of their comic book stories solely for the purpose of... Um, being able to write and produce like adult narratives, things with sexuality, things with violence, things with adult scenes. And that was a very cool history. I, th- I thought like I was super yeah. into it. Well, and among uh, comic and I mean, in nerd culture generally, but especially in comics, there's, you get really interesting splits between people who are really dedicated to traditional like old school Superman, traditional narratives, um, adhering to canon and, and also adhering to like a certain style of storytelling and often incredibly narrow parameters of what counts as a comic story. And it has been really exciting seeing the pushback from that. Um, and, and the comic industry tries to, it, it's pretty clear about trying to shut down independent comics and oh, yeah? uh, subversive or new and interesting books. Uh, the <laughs> yeah the the whole uh, another rabbit hole if you're interested going down is the Marvel in particular the way in which they make comic book shops order their things 
heavily overloads what they think are going to be the best sellers. They don't let comic book stores like pick and choose from their catalog. The whole, yeah, it's weird and complicated and we don't have nearly enough time to go into all how the comic book industry works. But what we can celebrate is that there are more comics coming out. There's more independent sex worker produced comics coming out and there there's going to be a wider selection with more exciting things to read and look at. So, so yay. Um, with this comic velvet collar, Brian, uh, does want to push the genres of political observation, queer male erotica and action adventure. Um, this is a a fantastic comic book. Uh, I picked up the first issue recently and it, it just like spoke to me like every page, the colors are vibrant. Um, the stories, I mean, even just being a male sex worker, like I connected with a lot of them. So I'm excited for this interview. Here's Brian Knight. Hi on the dresser listeners. Today we're sitting down with Brian Knight. Hello. Thank you, Danny, for having me on your show. And thank you listeners for tuning in to find out more about this cool comic series on male sex workers. My name is Brian Knight. I am a professional in the industry, and I'm also the author and producer of the series called Velvet Collar. The first issue is called Unhappy Endings. Nice. How many? Um, so introduce us to Velvet Collar. Like, what's uh, what's the story about? Velvet Collar is a nine-issue limited series following the adventures of five diverse male sex workers as they respond to the closing of the fictionalized version of Rent Boy, and what happens after that. Yeah, it it did feel very familiar. Like, it was shockingly familiar reading the comic. What are you hoping to do with this comic? Like, why why this story in particular? The first thing I want to do is get the comic finished. Okay. I have... I have an approximate story of nine issues total, beginning, middle, and end, Mm -hmm. and with enough room and flexibility to include the input from new people in the industry who want to either be drawn as characters in the series or who want to contribute their insights. So we left some flexible room so that audience members could participate. Primarily, I wanted to use the series to stamp male sex worker culture in history in a tangible, strong way that hadn't been done before. In mainstream society, Sex workers are regulated to either victim or criminal roles with limited agency in expressing themselves and having fully developed lives. And this series was my way to fight that with comics and having an independent audience driven by social media and community outreach. It allows me and the community to create a record of who we are without needing permission from mainstream society. So this I, is a, so go ahead. I would eventually, I have some additional ideas. I hope to take it further. It would be my dream to have this turn into a limited television series. Ooh, okay. I know there are a few networks right now that would take it, but I am hopeful and it's 
always good to have an unbelievable goal to aim for. I I agree with that. And, you know, that was one of the questions that I, I had in my head is, you know, if you could have a perfect vision for this, where would it go? And I guess that's there's my answer. Um, well, no, the, there's more to it than that. Oh, yeah? A perfect vision for me, a perfect vision for me in the series uh, would include a few things. One, I would love it eventually to be reviewed by The New York Times. That would just make my jaw drop. That mm-hmm. would be the newspaper I frame over my bed. Okay. Um, I would like to include at least 100 real people. All the characters you see drawn are actually real people you can talk to. They are either sex workers or people in the porn industry who've loaned their name, their stage names and their faces in order to play parts. Mm -hmm. Now, they don't always play their own stories, but they do play real stories and they do carry the real motivations and authenticity that makes up the community. So I would like to have at least 100 people participate, our friends, our allies, our clients, and our coworkers. Um, that is part of what makes the series so special, is that we started with inclusion of community members right on the outset. Uh, this is very much audience participation inclusive. And that's something I guess I didn't understand or realize um, about the series uh how so you've you've got one in the first episode out or the first issue um when when is the second one expected are you still seeking inclusion from the second or are you still are you looking further down the line um we're currently in production for issues two and three okay we have half of issue two completed mm-hmm. with the feedback from the kickstarter backers okay. and from uh, other audience members who decided to participate. Mm-hmm. Issue three uh, has been submitted to new artists to review. Mm-hmm. Part of getting this out faster to people is audience participation and the availability of artists. Mm-hmm. I do the writing, I find the money, mm-hmm. I find the audience. And artists who care about this project mm-hmm. and who are excited about it, as I am, mm-hmm. are my hands. So it has a unique challenge of collaboration and cooperation. Absolutely. So if somebody's interested in, in reaching out, this is a, a platform. We got a small listenership, but if a sex worker is listening and they want to get in touch with you to be a collaborator, um, either for their story or with their art, how can they do that? Uh, they can contact the company's uh, direct email, velvetcollarcomics at yahoo.com. Mm-hmm. They can... Uh, submit their requests, and they can also contact me via Twitter, Instagram, or Skype, uh, usually some variation of Brian Knight. I will, <laughs> I'll give you all the variations later to include. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess I want to go back. I didn't realize that it was a, a collaborative series. And, and in going through these stories that you picked, they each – and I'm looking at five different Rent Boys in this, in this panel – they each – Res- each of their stories resonated right uh, for me as a as a rent boy like i can see myself in ricochet shoes i can see myself in abel's shoes i can see my i can remember a, a conflict like being outed uh or having an inexplicable outing um happen like that's very powerful <laughs> how 
how are the people that you're mirroring in this first issue, how are they, what's the feedback from them? Um, all five love how they look. They like how sexy they look. They like how fun and vibrant the series is. I've given them all heads up of approximately what's coming, and they've put their trust in me to provide creative direction. I really appreciate the trust. That that was that was really special to me. These five guys who've loaned me their faces and names Mm -hmm. and say, all right, we trust you enough to make us look good. And even if our characters have a problem or don't always look good, we trust you. Okay. And uh, I value that. Yeah. And like you're, you're the first striking thing about this comic is that it leads with sex. What, why was, why was the choice to like embed sex so strongly into the first episode why was that a why was that a decision for you sex workers are about sex whether it's in the mind or physical Mm -hmm. so to talk about sex workers without including it Mm -hmm. would be uh, disingenuous i um I made a conscious effort to demonstrate that sex is not excluded from a worker's life. It's integrated. So as you read the story, you experience sex as part of their lives as a continuum. Now, uh, some professionals compartmentalize for their own personal reasons, like people in other industries compartmentalize between their work life and their home life. I respect that. I felt that it was necessary to demonstrate what what the, the how fake compartmentalization is. Compartmentalization only happens in your own mind, just like uh, <laughs> an event happens on one page and then happens on the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... I was uh, tired of that idea of compartmentalization, and um, I, I wanted to challenge it and uh, ask the viewers to challenge it as well. Was there a conscious effort for this to be semi-pornographic, or is that just because that's the story you're telling? Like, are you, is I'm guessing what I, I'm asking is, were you putting this forth as comic porn, or is that like just a background thing in the story that's happening? Well, let me ask you, at what point, how many pages would it have to be considered porn? Would it be 10? Would it be five? Mm -hmm. Would it be one? I don't know. Am I judging that by erections? Do people get erections when they read Spider-Man or Archie? (laughs) (laughs) So if it gives it, so if it gives you an erection, it's porn, no matter how many, how much of the content is involved, right? Okay. I don't, is that a question for me? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I was I was asking you, but I was also asking the audience members. Okay. Because as far as far as the readership goes, and I've had readers like I've had 60-year-old white upper east side women read this multiple <laughs> times. I've had straight teenagers read this. Okay. I've had people from oh, unexpected places and they don't get erection they don't touch themselves generally they could if they find it hot enough uh-huh. they all stop on the sexy pages definitely keeps their attention okay um it was primarily to demonstrate 
the realities of a sex worker's life. Mm -hmm. Clearly, they're not having sex all the time. Sometimes they're just having pillow talk or naked or mm -hmm. uh, or uh, moving sideways between one place and another. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't it. There are lots of porn comics out there, and I encourage people to go read them. And this one was most focusing on what it's like to be have an authentic life as a sex worker. And I felt that including uh, uh, graphic sex at some point was part of that. Is there is there something you're hoping to do with this comic? Like, is there uh, an idea you'd like to change um, about the way people perceive male sex workers? Is there a narrative you'd like to help put forward about people in the sex industry? Yes. Like, what's your intent with this with the story and this comic book? Each episode covers a set of themes that male sex workers are dealing with. In issue one, um, unhappy endings, you see a series of relationships and states of mind end. You see um, uninhibited freedom end. You see secrecy end. You see relationships end. So, um, and you get, and I feel like in endings and when things finish, people demonstrate true and authentic things about themselves. So for an opening that's unhappy endings, seeing how our characters deal with these endings is very powerful and authentic. And a reader, even someone who's not in the industry, can feel that authenticity. Like, these are real people making real decisions based on their experiences in the industry. And that's what's very powerful. Uh, in issue two, uh, issue two is uh, Rough Trade Secrets. I like puns. <laughs> <laughs> so do we on On The Dresser. You're in your company. <laughs> so um, Rough Trade Secrets are about the secrets and vulnerabilities that professionals face. So and issue three will cover how professionals deal with each other and view their clients in a way. Uh, and so on. So each issue covers uh, covers themes, including what's it like to live with it for a long time. Like Daddy, the character, he represents an amalgamation of sex workers that have been in the business about 40 years. Okay. What kind of life is that? What kind of insights do they get? And um, uh, racism, a uh, religion, uh, politics, there's Sex is all about politics, so politics definitely enters. Okay. And the challenge as a writer is to take about 40 pages mm -hmm. and five characters and a bunch of other people and put it all together into a cohesive experience that gives an audience member curiosity, uh, willingness to learn and know and understand more, and also teaching them a little bit without confusing them, without... Uh, um, without steering from the primary uh, motivations. The comics are supposed to be fun. They're, they're, I think comics are supposed to be fun and enjoyable reads. They can be serious topics, but as, if they're fun, go for it. And I, I wanted to make sure that audience members would have fun while following the, pe the people they're caring about. Is that the, was that the motivation be, behind that medium, or do you have a different relationship with just comic books in general? Uh, with comic books, 
it has the best of both written work and movies. Okay. I can control angles. I can control. I can do weird, wild things uh, that you can't do in other mediums. I also found it really accessible for a very visually driven population right now. We we communicate important messages and knowledge now through memes, which are almost exclusively visual. Mm-hmm. It's an integration of words and pictures. So comics seem like a really natural fit for what I wanted to do. Tell me the tell me the first question. Tell me the question again because I feel like I missed a piece of it. That's okay. It, it was my my question really was um, was it the that it was a way to deliver a message, a serious message in a fun way? Was that your inspiration for doing it in a comic ah, book form, yes. or do you have like a history with comics where you like grew up with comics, or you have you know done these kind of things before? Okay, so this is my first official published comic. Okay. I've been interested in it since college when I read Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. I have seen sex workers portrayed in very serious dramas, in tragedies, in crime. I've never seen them portrayed in a fun way. So as if the Archie world were to have sex workers, that has never been done okay. <laughs> in comics ever This before this. So everything else has been dark and heavy, and the topics these characters deal with are heavy and sometimes dark and serious. And having them in these bright palettes with interjections of real day-to-day joy and struggle give them a vibrancy that no medium prior does. Plus, plus, most, um, most autobiographical works or studies of sex workers have either been focused on one person from their own perspective and gives a really limit and it's very isolating and um, academic works are sterile. They're, they're largely devoid of emotion. They look at it just as an objective outsider, but they miss a lot about what it's like to be the person. So the comic gives me the chance to uh, invigorate uh, the, the public perception of sex workers and allow it to do it in a fun way and a way that's emotionally engaging, mm-hmm. which I don't think I've seen in most other mediums. Absolutely. And that's a, uh, a couple of times, uh, a couple of times we've, we've had episodes where we tackle sex workers in media and we li- really like to highlight when sex workers are telling their own stories. So I guess my excitement for this project you have the the velvet collar series comes in that not only are you focusing them in a, a a more positive way focusing on sex worker stories in a more positive way but there's also this big inclusion thing that you're doing that's kind of changing the game because you're, what you're saying is a lot of times when there are pieces of work it comes from a very singular point of view but you're actually trying to do the work to bring in more voices it's uh, it's tough because um, on the female side, uh, women work together for safety. For safety, men are independent; they're loners. So having these five primary characters in a group together is it's part of my ideal of cooperation, and also part of rare moments of cooperation that I've seen in real life. Yeah. So. 
Um, that, that being said, portions of the narrative are speculative fiction, such as one of the big fears that happened after the Rampoy raid was, was uh, the Department of Homeland Security going to use the personal information of advertisers to go after them? Now, as far as I know, nothing came of that. However, that did inspire the pivot into a spy action adventure, which is fictional and fun and still driven by real stories and real concerns as our characters move through the wider world of male sex workers from the uh, Hollywood movie mansion, millionaire clients to uh, the street workers. As they explore and search for their goal, they are taking the audience through what the inclusive world of sex workers is. That's fantastic. I cannot be more excited to see the second one. When is the second one supposed to be released? You said you're about halfway through. Is that right? Yeah, uh, we had some unexpected, unfortunate delays. So we we honestly we estimate September. Okay. So, and, but we but we hope to have issue three out by January because we're going to be doing them both simultaneously. We have. Uh, we're, we're gonna we're planning to do them simultaneously. Like now, as soon as the artist for issue three says yes, I'll say, "All right, go. You got it. Like you got the green light." Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's cool. Is there funding stream problems? Is there a way we can help you highlight funding stream? Uh, yeah, money is always good. Each <laughs> issue costs about nine thousand for a first run. Okay. Uh, nine. That includes uh, paying the artist, fair wages. And printing costs and distribution costs. Okay. So uh, when the Kickstarter comes up, definitely we welcome contributions and we uh, we want public participation. We want them to – and they can donate privately. There will be options to donate privately. Uh, some people like want to be drawn as characters into the series. So they like, they, they, they like buying a cameo spot, same as <laughs> Where the Bears Are or any other uh, community-based <laughs> production. Yeah, I guess my only other pressing question is, and, and you can decline to answer, of course. Um, sure. Is is have we seen your own story reflected yet? Are you part of the 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 cast of characters yet? My stories and fingerprints are through the entire work, and little details I've dropped in from people I love, people I care about, mm-hmm. people I've seen. So. I've told people that if we make it to issue nine, I will be drawn in as a character. Oh, wow. Until then, my shared stories will be there, and I'm keeping myself out in order to give myself some distance and objectivity. Because when you're writing about yourself in a world, you want you want to write what's good for you, okay. showing off everybody instead of what's good for everybody regardless of what happens to you you know that's that right there is when people ask what is making space mean that is exactly what it is and i very much appreciate you for doing that not only for male sex workers um but anybody who comes into getting their story shared uh through this comic I'm, i'm very excited how can people be in touch with you how can people buy the comic uh find your work uh, they, can, 
They can buy the comic directly through my website, www.velvetcollarcomics.com. We will be having an Amazon safe uh, cover for the second printing and for further issues. So they'll be able to get it eventually there. Uh, they can contact me on Twitter at Brian Knight 66, Instagram Brian Knight 66. I'm also on Facebook. Um, again, they can email me directly at velvetcollarcomics at yahoo.com. Um, and I'd like to, is there any other things that you'd like to say, promote, giving you kind of just open space to address our listeners as you please? Uh, we really want to include trans male professionals. I really wanted to include uh, some in the work. The ones I reached out to initially were reluctant because they didn't want to be exploited for a freak factor. I just wanted to put that out there that um, I welcome their inputs. I think that as part of the trans rights development that they should be included. Uh, I, if anyone has concerns about their voice being represented, especially uh, non-white, uh, especially older or younger who, or even academics or clients that want think this should be included because it's important. Uh, I'm not going to be able to use everything, but every honest contribution will get a serious evaluation because the priority is to create something that's fun and authentic and um, something that people feel they can contribute to. The comic book series is The Velvet Collar. The author is Brian Knight. Brian, thank you so much for talking today. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me, Danny. So that was Brian Knight talking about Velvet Collar and... It's it's so rare to find a comic that really resonates when it comes to queer sex work, especially the last time I remember reading something like that was Rent Girl by Michelle T. And that came out in 2004 and was the first time that I had seen a graphic novel with illustrations and visuals that spoke to me as a queer a queer kinky sex worker and to have that from a male perspective because so often male sex workers are if not erased at best awful stereotypes it's a like woefully underrepresented part of our community and this was a beautiful a, sort of celebration of also the struggles and the, the language. Um, he notes on his Kickstarter page from when he was raising money to print the first edition that, like you said, sex workers are rarely seen uh, in a protagonist role um, in, these, in these graphic novels. For example, he says, in Chester Brown's comic Paying For It, the author strips away... <laughs> See, okay, visceral reaction. And he says, the author strips away any individual identifying features, personalities, and human essence from the women he meets in his encounters. Velvet Collar puts the color and life back into the people. Yes. Part of that visceral reaction is I already know what the client's perspective is like. I have seen a lot of clients and heard from a lot of clients who love telling me what their perspective is like. Oh. So thanks, didn't need your comic. 
basically. Uh, you know, doing this show on um, on the graphic novel, like I have just been like on a mission to find them. What what else is out there? Do you know? I've not I've not I've not historically read a lot of graphic novels. This is a new genre for me that I've been exploring. But one of my new favorites is called Bingo Love. It is by T. Franklin, and it's so sweet and so romantic and so happy. It's a graphic novel about black lesbians who are childhood sweethearts and then are separated for decades and then they reunite. And it's, it's, it's a love story and it's about their families and there is the attention to detail is, it's just beautiful. And it, it's also, it's, I don't know that many stories about black lesbians that don't focus on the trauma and the pain of being a queer person of color. It doesn't erase that. They definitely have obstacles and trauma. And it's the focus is really about the love and the love, not only the romantic love, but the love between their families and with their children and the the complications of loving relationships in a lot of ways, but it's, it's so beautiful and it's just, it's so heartwarming and there's going to be an extended edition released this fall and T Franklin is working on a sequel and her next project, which is just been previewed. So I don't have details, but she's also writing a comic called juke joint and I believe there are black lesbian vampires. So I'm eagerly awaiting more from T. Franklin. She's one of my favorites of the moment. Cannot recommend her enough. You can find that at bingolovecomic.com. I've been loving on Supreme Bay and very sorry if I mispronounced that, uh, but I believe it's Supreme Bay, like Supreme Bay. But she's on the Twitter as at Thought Scholar. She's got also uh, a lot of uh, illustrated stories. Have you have you read it? Got to read any of those? I haven't read any of her illustrated works, but I loved an excerpt from her upcoming book that's coming out, I believe this winter that she's working on. And the excerpt is called give and it's it, it, the book she's working on right now is the primer on pro ho womanist ways of thinking. And it is remarkably different from a lot of the sex work books and theory that comes out from and non-sex workers and well and people who don't care to include those voices it's that we are working on building a small publishing imprint that centers the voices of black queer sex workers and many others so this is the first in what is hopefully a lot more writing that will be coming out and I highly encourage people to support these projects. They are, they actually met their, their initial funding goal, which it within, I think it was within three days, which nice. was amazing. Um, yeah. So 
Yeah, they they have um, a couple of short comic short stories on their website. Um, you can find more information or read those short works at thoughtscholar.com, T-H-O-T-S-C-H-O-L-A-R.com. Uh, one of our family members also just made a zine, isn't that right? Yes, she did. Our own Dr. Vanessa Carlisle has helped produce a zine called Don't Hate Our Heels that is about the whorephobia experienced in radical political spaces. So for those of us with experience organizing with, oh, I don't know, um, predominantly white male led spaces that espouse radical anarchist socialist mantras are typically very, very anti-sex worker. And, uh, and our team on the dresser has experienced this pretty directly. Uh, it's for those of us who have been following the history of places we've been and people we've worked with. Um, yeah. Do you know how to find that? Like how can people get a copy of that one? Uh, you can definitely find one at the local queer coffee shop in Los Angeles, Cuties. And you can buy a copy at copyslutband.com, C-O-P-Y-S-L-U-T-B-A-N-D.com. And you will find the zine in the copy shop. Again, the zine we're talking about is Don't Hate My Heels, a confrontation with whorephobia in which the whores win. And if you'd like to know more about the band while you're getting your copy on, we do have a past episode featuring them. I highly encourage you to give it a listen. And there were some being passed around at the uh, Air National Whores Day March. So we have copies we love distributing copies to sex workers. Nice. Please get in touch with us. Yeah, get in touch. We'll get you one other one that now that you said um, International Horse Day, I wanted to. I was down in Austin for International Horse Day um, and got to meet uh, Jolene Bandini. Uh, she's a stripper, um, a former sex worker. She was uh, inspired to draw and write a zine based on Jack the Stripper's uh, online presence. Um, so Jack the Stripper had a, like a, like a, cha- a drawing challenge. Um, and mm-hmm. from that drawing challenge, this, uh, this person, Jolene Bandini, uh, like created this whole stripper zine. And I want you to go check out her art. You can find her um, on Instagram at Jolene Bandini Draws um, or JoleneBandini.com, J O. L-E-N-E-B-A-N-D-I-N-I.com. So I feel like with I feel like with that, like our listeners have got their summer reading list covered. What you think? Yes, absolutely. It's and if you don't have enough sex work or queer comics or books, we are always happy to learn about more. If you have suggestions for other sex worker led comics, graphic novels, fiction, nonfiction, um, there, there's a poetry collection that either came out or just came out that I still need to investigate more about all, all the sex worker literature. I want to devour all of it. Please send, send me all the things, send us all the things. We'd love to do more shows like this. And, and not only just because we'd like to do shows like this, but also because 
especially and and Vanessa said this before um since FOSTA SESTA um, was signed into law, a lot of sex workers are struggling financially with their uh, main source of income or their advertising source of income, their erotic labor. Uh, and so highlighting other projects that these that people do is a great way of letting them have economic options for themselves, right? So not only do we want you to support these sex workers in their work um, and give them your money, um, you know, but also think of us while, we, while you're uh, doing those things. We have over 50 shows, um, episodes where we talk to queer content makers, queer authors, queer thinkers. Um, we are just the messengers, but uh, we would like to also be secure financially while we uh, put together this podcast for you. It's a labor of love. It has been a gift for the past 50 shows. Um, you can go to our website on the dresserpodcast.com. We will be putting a PayPal link up soon if you want to donate anything. Um, we haven't really set up a, a reward system for that yet, um, but look for that in the future. You might We might come up with some exclusive content or other things um, while we wait and see what Patreon is doing with their adult content people. Um, yeah, we just kind of wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, it's really hard to get excited about going onto a platform that is kicking off a whole bunch of porn stars. Right. So... One of the things that at sex workers we frequently come across is platforms don't want our media and they don't want and at sometimes they don't want us to make them money, which is an interesting moralistic bullshit that we can and have and do rant about. But on that note, on a little bit of internal housekeeping one of the reasons we wanted to leave everybody with a long list of sex worker produced and created and led media is because we are going to have to take a short break from the production of this podcast. And it, it hurts our hearts a little bit to say that, but it needs to happen. We need some time to regroup and refocus our energies and, and, and it, I'll, I'll be real. We need some time to like get our own lives back in order. I know I've, I've moved across country. Um, I've lost a few platforms to Foster Sesta. Like, you know, I don't want to speak for the group as a whole, but I know for myself, yeah, like taking this break means like getting my life back in order to be able to produce content for y'all. I think the group as a whole is, I can, I'll, I won't speak for Vanessa, but I will say that, I've, you know, I've also been in a pretty precarious situation. I may or may not be moving across the country very, very shortly. Um, and our community as a whole, when we say that our community is in crisis, we mean that at least once a week we've been getting messages of not just I'm having a bad day, but I need resources now. I need to get to a new place. I need a place to live. I need to be away from this person. I need to be out of this district. I need health care. I've, I've seen supportive mm -hmm. fundraisers from sex worker organizations for people who just need basic health care access. Like our community is in crisis. <laughs> and I am 
so sorry that I don't remember if I'm quoting Rebel Cunt or Thought Scholar on this, but I but somewhere in a thread, I'm pretty sure it was Rebel Cunt said there's basically the same $50 that is being shared among, but she was specifically talking about black women. That's like the same $50 that everyone is passing around to each other, depending on who needs it most. Wow. And I feel like we're to extrapolate to queers and sex workers and especially the most marginalized of our communities, we're all just trying to hold each other up. Mm-hmm. And when when we say that, I've, I've noticed a lot of allies hear that and think that this is this beautiful, inspiring, look at all these people really holding each other and taking care of each other. And it is, and that's true, but we shouldn't have to do it alone. Mm-hmm. It should not be... I'm sorry. There's if there's a fair if there sounds like there's a fair bit of bitterness and anger, it's because there is. Well, and They're definitely. And those allies are missing. The ones that are hold, doing the holding are also standing like waist deep in yeah. shit while they're holding people up, right? So yeah, yeah, it's a nice thought. Look at the sex workers helping and holding each other up. But those are that, like I said, that are doing the holding. We're standing waist deep <laughs> in our own shit. So yeah, if you're and- an ally that just wants to stand there and say something, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Please just send just send some more money. Make that pot of money that's going around a little bit bigger. And if we can get like half an inch of breathing room, that opens up the time and space to do these projects that we love. All three of us love this podcast. We love putting it out. And this like this is the kind of work we would really love to be doing instead of worrying about how to pay our rent or buy our groceries. Um, and that's real and it's hard and, uh, I hate talking about it. I hate admitting that, but I mean, but we're on the dresser. (laughs) We are, but we get intimate and sometimes intimacy is really fucking messy, especially when money's involved. Hallelujah. I agree. (laughs) Um, but that said, we are coming back. This is more like a sea, like a break between seasons when school starts, when we're on a bit, a bit more sturdy ground and we're getting there. Mm -hmm. We're we're working on that. Yeah. We'll be Uh, back in the fall with some new episodes, some new thoughts for y'all, some new, (laughs) and you figure out what I'm talking about with thoughts. Um, you know, some new writers, some new publishers, um, some new ideas and some new shows. We'll be back in the fall with y'all. That is our show. Thank you so much for listening. We are on the dresser. Our production team is made up of myself, Lauren Kylie, Dr. Vanessa Carlisle, and Danny Cruz. Uh, our music is all by Lou Gomez, and you can catch up on our past episodes on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and please, please, wherever you're listening, just take a few seconds to rate write a quick little review and share with your friends if you like it if you hate it if you have feedback we want to hear yeah send us your questions your comments um signal boost any suggestions uh to on the dresser at gmail.com we want to hear from you on the dresser at gmail.com uh you can also find us on facebook and twitter both at on the dresser uh lauren how can we find you you can find me on the Twitter and Instagram at XOXO Lauren Kylie. 
How about you? You can find me on the Twitter at a Danny Boy or on Instagram at it's Danny Cruz. All right, for show. Yeah. All power to the people. All pleasure to the people. Good Good night night. and good Good fuck. Yay! All right, I'm gonna stop.